Good day from my office. I made the mistake of not recording a couple of the Bible studies that we have on Wednesday night because we like to provide these opportunities, these podcasts online. I'm taking this time to quickly go through some of the ones uh, that we're missing. Uh, This recording is for the book of Esther. Uh, Hopefully you have your handy-dandy handout uh, as PDF that's right under this recording. So feel free to pull that up. I'm going to be using it uh, fairly strictly, a little bit differently than when I'm uh, going through it with the people at Centennial. Uh, I hope to move through this uh, uh, this book, and and as is the case for the other parts of this survey, with the particular emphasis of helping you, uh, the listener, dive more deeply into the book of Esther whenever you might open it, that you might recall this, or you might have this handout, or you might listen to this podcast as a refresher, and that it might help you as you individually study, as your minister might be going through it, uh, proclaiming God's word to you, or as you might be studying it in the fellowship of believers in a Bible study or something like that. May the Lord bless our endeavors together as we open up to the book of Esther. First, let's pray. Then we'll have a little bit of context, and then uh, we might just march through uh, a a couple different uh, uh, parts, a couple different uh, topics that uh, rise to the top of the book of Esther. But first, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you bless uh, our time in Esther? Lord, may it be beneficial to us. I pray that we might see your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your righteousness all within the pages of this little book. Lord, may it be so, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, by way of introduction to the book of Esther uh, and by way of context, uh, it, it is, a, it, it is a, at times a, a, a controversial book. Uh, some uh, Christians throughout Christendom and throughout time uh, found themselves at, at odds end with this book little book in the Old Testament. Some of the problems that uh, that might be perceived, and that's an important word, is perception, some perceived problems that, uh, that might rise up in an initial reading of this book is that God's name is never mentioned. <clears throat> uh, that's a big one. Prayer is never mentioned. Uh, the temple is not mentioned, though I think that it is alluded to uh, in the first chapter. Uh, there is a a celebration day, a feast day established outside of the Pentateuch, which is not the ordinary way that things played out in the Old Testament. There is a strong, uh, a a very strong uh, perception of uh, kind of Jewish intent, right? Uh, But but all of these things are, are really perceived problems as we look at this book uh, with a lens of faith as we see what it is God would have for us in this book of the Bible these true events that take place we begin to see an unfolding picture of God's goodness and grace his mercy his righteousness his power all of these things begin to coalesce in this uh, uh, beautiful uh, historical book Uh, with the main character, of course, of Esther, and then 
the others as well uh, that that we'll see throughout uh, uh, throughout this book. Mordecai, her older cousin, her her uncle, as it were. Uh, of course, the enemy of God, Haman, and, and that king Artaxerxes, or as we see uh, his name presented here for us, Ahasuerus. This is just a little bit of context, but it can help us as we begin to see how we might dive into this book because to know these perceived problems can help us as we look to see what God is presenting to us because this perception uh, of of, uh, what's not there can sometimes cloud our vision to what is there. Uh, And I think that it's very clear what is there. It's, It's in the theme of this handout that God is sovereign. That is, God is in control over all and he is the savior of his people. That is at the forefront. That is the theme of the book of Esther. As we move through the book, uh, uh, sort of chapter by chapter, it's good to remember, and you'll see this on your handout again uh, uh, at the top of the pages, that, that God is in every chapter of Esther. The reason why God is in every chapter of Esther is that because God is always there, because God is God, we simply need to look for him. Uh, There's a couple different ways that we can see God uh, as we read through the book of Esther, and that's where we're going to devote the majority of this time here uh, throughout the chapters. And and you'll see this in the solid rock verses of the handout. uh, The way I've laid this out uh, can can help you as you move through uh, this little historical book. Uh, as we look to see what's happening, uh, as we as we look to see not uh, not what's not there, but as we look to see what is there, uh, we'll see these things. And so, uh, if you go to these solid rock verses, that's where we'll turn our eyes. Uh, we see here in this first uh, this uh, first bullet point, I have listed uh, one, two, three, six, seven, and eight. That's uh, six chapters uh, of the book of Esther present a certain theme. And that theme is a phony king. Uh, Here's just one example. In those days, King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa while he showed the riches of his glory and splendor and pomp of his greatness. While he was doing this in the first chapter of uh, uh, the introduction of this book of the Bible, this uh, a book about Esther. We don't get Esther in this first section. We get we get a phony king, a king who seeks to present his wife uh, as a trophy wife, as it were, to the people around him. And what happens? She denies him. Now, uh, uh, this this might be a story of empowerment if you want to look at it like that for women. I think that the queen was probably in the right for this, but she certainly. Uh, for her culture and for her time was not in the right. Uh, Culturally, this would have been a massive slap in the face to the king. And so uh, from the very beginning, we see a phony king begin to play out, and it only gets worse. He doesn't make his decisions on his own. He always needs help. He contradicts himself. He finds himself uh, getting manipulated by people like Haman, and dare I say it, even Esther. Uh, he, he is 
never in a place, even at the very end, where he is the one being glorified. In fact, we see this lowly Jew, Mordecai, uh, being presented with royal pomp and splendor at the very end of this book, rather than this king, King Xerxes, King uh, Ahasuerus, a phony king, uh, a king that's not... Uh, that, that's not in total and complete control. A king that is, uh, as the proverb says, like a stream in the hands of God the king. This is a, a theme that it, it is very obvious. It reveals the genre a little bit. Uh, the genre of the book of Esther can sometimes be considered almost a comedy. Uh, uh, there is uh, there, there are moments in time where you think this is ludicrous. How can this be? And it's because they're presenting these things. The, the writer, the, the recorder of these words uh, is presenting these things in such a literary way as to draw us to that and to reveal, wow, who is this king and why are they here? And that's the question we should be asking ourselves because that king isn't in control. God is sovereign over all. That's the theme of the book. And so uh, our, the, our writer being carried along by the Holy Spirit, as Second Peter tells us, uh, our writer is uh, using these genres for the benefit of the reader. As we continue uh, uh, through these kind of different sections, on the section, uh, the second bullet point, uh, starting in Esther 2, we begin to see another theme play out. Alongside of this phony king that's taking precedent in, in kind of a lot of these different chapters, we see the beginning of some providential placements. Uh, by providential placements, I simply mean this. In the book of Esther, the name God is never mentioned, but we begin to see these circumstances these just so happens these wow how can that be we begin to see those moments play themselves out providential placements if you look down through your list you'll see some great examples through the entirety the book of Esther. In Esther 2, we see providential placement. Let the young woman who pleases the king be queen. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther. The king loved Esther more than all the woman, uh, women. rather. So what we get here is, is uh, Esther being at the right place at the right time. Uh, you continue in Esther 2 with these providential placements. Now, there was a Jew in Susa, uh, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai. And uh, as you see here, I have mentioned the regicide, that is the plot against the king, came to the knowledge of Mordecai. And it just so happened uh, that Esther told the king. So not only is Esther being chosen by the king, think about it, one young Jewish woman uh, being chosen out of all of the women in the kingdom uh, to come alongside of the king. Now she has a cousin who hears about the regicide, about the plot to kill the king. But it doesn't stop there because we see in Esther chapter 3 another providential placement. They cast poor, that is, they cast lots. This is where we begin to see uh, uh, God 
providentially placing timing and timing is everything in this book if you read it through you'll begin to see that because Esther needed to be where she needed to be in more than one place in this book Mordecai needed to be where he needed to be in more than one place in this book Haman just so happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time at so many different places Haman being of course the main antagonist the enemy of God and we even see that in uh, Esther chapter 3 as well but uh, let's stick with the providential placements because because this is such a major theme God is in every chapter of Esther because God's always there and this is how he's revealing himself in these these moments where you say this just can't happen this just shouldn't have happened that way but it does and it keeps happening it keeps uh, uh, slamming into us it's like a slap in the face it's cold water on our face over and over where we end the book of Esther and we think could this be real Uh, was this a made-up story And, and the reality is that it's not that it's a true story preserved for us by the Holy Spirit that we might see God working for his people. So if you continue down, if you're looking for providential placements, we're on part four now, which is in Esther four. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is Mordecai speaking to Esther. Uh, Esther, the queen, is now in a, in a moment. She's in a moment of great uh, turmoil because Haman, the enemy of God, has has laid out this plan to destroy all of the Jews. If Esther doesn't intercede, if Esther doesn't intervene, it seems like there is no hope. Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Uh, The story continues, though there's more providential placements. Part 5 we find in Esther chapter 6. The king couldn't sleep, so he had the chronicles of the kingdom read to him. And it was found written how Mordecai had told the, uh, the servants of the king about the regicide plot. And now Haman just entered. So this is where we see Haman coming in at the wrong time in the wrong place. The king, not being able to sleep, uh, pulls out the chronicles of the kingdom. This would be like me or you not being able to sleep, and so we go get our encyclopedia, uh, Britannica, off the bookshelf. It's it's something to read just so you get sleepy again. Uh, and, And so the king's not able to sleep, and it just so happens that they flip to the part with Mordecai. Mordecai, of course, not being honored at that time. Haman, the enemy of God, the one who hates Mordecai, comes in hoping he's going to be the one who is honored, is then not honored, rather in a great twist and turn of events, is forced to honor Mordecai himself, God using even the enemies of God to glorify his people. Providential placements continue. Esther chapter 7 We see the part six of providential placements if you continue down the bullet points of your handout. This part six, it's talking about how the king returned and he sees Haman falling on the couch where Esther was and of course the king saying, hang him on. And of course he hangs him on the gallows that Haman had made for Mordecai. What irony, what a twist of events. Again, these providential placements where it just so happened 
Haman, of course, begging for his life, falls upon Esther. Uh, the king, seeing this, seeing uh, uh, this man touching uh, the queen, his queen, uh, casts judgment upon the enemy of God. And so we see a pagan king casting judgment upon an enemy of God. God is sovereign. This phony king is not sovereign. God is is sovereign, and we see that in the providential placements. There's one more providential placement that we see in Esther chapter 9. Of course, there's many more. These are very obvious examples that can help you uh, identify certain things as you walk through uh, um, the book of Esther. Purim, Purim itself, poor is the casting of lots. We saw that earlier when Haman did it. Uh, and now uh, this, this feast uh, that is established because of Purim, uh, this reality that uh, acknowledgement that God is in control of the casting of lots, like the roll of the dice. Uh, God is in control. There is no chance. Uh, there's a recognition in this feast that God is the one preserving his people, that God is the one who is sovereign and who saves his own. There are many more uh, uh, different uh, pieces that we see here alongside of providential placements. We see Haman, that enemy of God. We see him reveal himself in Esther chapter 3. You can see that on the solid rock verses. Uh, we see uh, the people themselves working for God. And this, I think, is, is very important within the book of Esther. It balances the reality of God's sovereignty. A question usually arises when we talk about God's control God's sovereignty and it's it's a question that goes something like this it might differ depending on the day uh, if God is in control why do we need to do anything uh, that's the question that sometimes arises when we speak of God's sovereignty but what we see in the book of Esther is a direct contradiction to such a thought God's sovereignty is playing itself out in every chapter with these with these uh, incredible twists of events, these ironies that you just can't make up. Uh, God himself kind of weaving through this uh, historical reality. Uh, what we see is the people working over and over. Uh, we start in Esther 5 and we see that Esther won favor in his sight. She was the one who had to go to the king. And even if she didn't, Mordecai himself says that uh, uh, that uh, that another would rise up in her place, that, that the people of God would advocate for themselves, but it would be God who's presenting such opportunity. It's sovereignty and the working people of God and, and action. Sovereignty and, and humanity's actions, it's a both and. It's not an either or. Our finite minds desperately desire it to be an either or either god is sovereign or we are the ones working but our finite minds always ram against that and it's it's a simple reality that god's sovereignty and our actions it's it's both and the same time uh, these things are happening simultaneously god's working even as we are living out our lives rightfully so we see this again in Esther chapter 7. If you continue down the bullet points, uh, the king asking, what's your wish, Queen Esther? Let my life be granted to me. That's what she says. And my people, who has dared to do this? The king asked. And then, of course, Esther responds, a foe and an enemy, the wicked Haman. And so you see 
Esther is is pleading, is interceding for his, her people, but it is God who's provided the opportunity. It's God, even perhaps, uh, and rightfully so, who has given her the words uh, to to preserve His people, even as she is seeking to preserve her people. We see it again in Esther chapter 8. What happens? Well, uh, there's one decree that went out, kill all the Jews. There's another decree that goes out, Jews, you have the right to defend yourselves. And so there's there's action that must be taken by the Jews to defend themselves. And they do that. And we see that in Esther chapter 9. There's a reality playing out here of providence from God God's control, God's sovereignty, God's movement. And we see at the same time God's allowance of his people as they live and as they breathe freely and as they act on on their own free wills to do what they will. Uh, But those things are lining up, as it were, with the people of God and God himself. We see even as the enemies of God begin to play themselves out against him, we see God is in control of such phony kings, of such enemies, and that they are thwarted at every turn. This grants us confidence and peace and comfort in a world that is often uncomfortable and often filled with suffering, we can have such peace knowing that God is preserving us even as we are seeking to act rightly, interceding for ourselves and for our people. One more thing uh, before uh, we finish, and, and you know, remember this is not meant to be exhaustive. Uh, there are pieces that are missing that I'm not speaking of that as you read through, you might go through this handout and say, oh, I'm thankful that he wrote this, or maybe I need to do more research on this, but I hope that as we're moving through these points that we're starting to see uh, uh, an opportunity to maneuver with a bit more breadth and a bit more depth uh, within uh, this uh, within this book of the Bible. And, and so as we're looking at God's providence, God's sovereignty, as we're looking at the people's actions, uh, uh, how how that works and how that plays out. And as we're looking at the interaction between God's people and the enemies of God, as all of this is playing out in this story in the book of Esther, there's also this royal steward who is very clearly being presented uh, in a Christ-like manner, Uh, one who is guiding Esther, one who preserves and loves even his enemy, the king, one who is honored and uplifted as royalty, robed in purple, one who at the end was even second in rank to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and spoke peace to all the peoples. Uh, His name is Mordecai, but uh, in many ways this Mordecai is revealing uh, through shadow our Lord and Savior Jesus. People are coming to faith. They're becoming Jews is what we see in Esther chapter 8. Uh, uh, as Mordecai is going out from the presence of the king, we see many peoples declaring themselves Jews because of the fear of the Jews that had fallen on them. We see this Mordecai over and over revealing to us a depth of God's preservation for his people. Uh, What's so beautiful is that we have a male and a female protagonist, Mordecai and Esther. Esther is doing her part, which is so wonderful because 
there seems to be a perceived issue with women and religion and why they can't serve, but it's, it's, a, it's a straw man argument. Women are serving mightily, and we see that here. We see God revealing himself in preservation through all of these people uh, because these people aren't the main subject. God is, even though his name isn't mentioned, his sovereignty over all, his salvation for his people takes the forefront and draws our minds by the Holy Spirit directly to him, directly uh, in praise and worship with applications of comfort and assurance and strength that grows out of our own weakness because we can trust God, a God who works for his people even in the strangest of places, even in the stronghold of the enemy, God is there. Even when there are people in power that are against us, God is there and God is sovereign and savior of his people. It's a beautiful story. It's a true story. The book of Esther is a wonderful book to read through and to study on your own, to go through uh, in a Bible study. But for us to see God is very important. Uh, don't, Don't get caught up in what's not there. Look to see what God would have for us in this book and be blessed by it in the coming days. In Jesus' name, amen.